to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of July 19, 2020. We'll begin with some announcements. First, from the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association, you're reminded that the alumni will be holding a virtual memorial service on Saturday, July 25 from 3 to 5 p.m. The service will be on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. The code will be 3572-595-193. If you'd like to participate and help to remember the individuals on our list this year, be sure to plan to use Zoom. If you would just like to listen to the service, you may do so by listening to the radiostorm.com on TuneIn. Michael McCarty will be streaming the memorial service on the Radio Storm, and we appreciate his help in making it possible for people around the world to listen to the memorial service. For more information about the memorial service and how you can participate, contact the alumni at 502-897-1472 or watch our Facebook alumni page under Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association on Facebook. And now for some activities from KCB, ACB, and other groups around the American Council of the Blind. On Monday, July 20, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will be holding a board meeting on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833, and the code will be 3572-595-193. The KCB board meetings are at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and all are welcome. On July 22, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a lunch and learn from 1 to 2 p.m. on the Zoom line, the guest speaker will be Amy Hatter, Executive Director of Radio I, and she will update us on the latest happenings at Radio I, an exciting service for the visually and print impaired. Newspapers and magazines are recorded by volunteers or read live over the air and can be accessed using a special receiver or by an Echo Dot or Amazon Echo without cost. To register in advance for the meeting, call 859-259-1834. On July 24 and July 31, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind invites everyone to roundabout by phone, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a great opportunity to share information and tips. Patty usually comes by with a good recipe. And on the 24th, we'll be having page turners. And we invite you to tell us about a good book that you've read, either recently or at some point in the past. For more information, call 502-895-4598 or just give us a call on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On July 25, also on that Zoom line, you'll find ACB Next Generation Saturday Night Live Hangout. It's at 8 p.m., and ACB members and individuals under the age of 40 are invited to participate. 
For more information, call Amanda Selm, President, at 502-750-1774. On July 26th, the KSB Alumni Board will hold its July meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. And on July 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will hold a call at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on that same number, 605-475-6006, code 294444, and they will have a speaker that evening. And finally, on July 29, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold a quarterly membership meeting. It will be at 1 p.m. on their Zoom line. For more information, call 859-259-1834. On last week's Sound Prints, we brought you some highlights of the ACB Virtual Conference and Convention. There are so many sessions, so many programs, so many presentations and exhibits and tours, so many choices, so many things happening at the same time. No way to experience it all. But wait, you can experience it all through the ACB Radio Convention Podcast site. Just visit acbradio.org slash acb convention. There you'll find a long list of podcasts, including everything from exhibits to programs presented by special interest groups to ACB committee programs to ACB general sessions and, of course, technology, technology, technology. Download those that interest you or download them all to your Victor Stream computer or other device by visiting acbradio.org slash acb-convention.xml. People often ask, what's ACB doing? Or, what's been going on recently in ACB? Dan Spoon, ACB President, and Eric Bridges, ACB Executive Director, answer those questions in their reports presented at the opening general session on Sunday night, July 5, at the ACB Convention. Dan's report is on page 2, and Eric's is on page 3. Discover how ACB is working every day to improve the lives of all people who are blind and visually impaired. Karen Kenninger, director of the National Library Service Talking Book Program, visits ACB every year, and this year was no exception. Listen on page 4 as she shares plans for the NLS program for the coming year and beyond. We hope that you enjoy this week's sound prints. For more information, call KCB at 502-895-4598. Page two. And now it's time for us to have our ACB annual address. Most years you would hear only from your ACB president, but this year I think it's really important that we kind of transition to a new phase in our organization and that we recognize that the work of ACB is done not only by its wonderful membership and its countless volunteers and its wonderful committee chairs, but also by the work of its staff, led by executive ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. So this year, I welcome the opportunity to share the spotlight with our Executive Director Eric Bridges for our, what I will call our State 
of ACB. Uh, I'll speak first for a little while, then I'll turn it over to Eric, and then he'll turn it back over to me for some final thoughts. So what does ACB mean for us right now in the year 2020? It really harkens me back to our mission statement when we were founded 59 years ago. ACB, the American Council of the Blind, strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. This was true 59 years ago, and it's even more true today. We are living the spirit of our founding fathers of ACB. We'll have an opportunity to recognize a couple of them this evening as ACB angels. But I could not be prouder of what this organization has accomplished over the last year. And I, I want to give special thanks to Kim Charlson and the previous administration and all the hard work that was put in place to lay the foundations that we are building on towards our path to the future. At the fall board meeting this year, for the first time, we embraced a new philosophy inside of ACB of putting together a set of steering committees. These steering committees focused on our nine key programs and services for our organization. Just refresh your memory. These are the services that we strive to work every day in order to make lives better for blind and visually impaired people. These are our annual convention, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, our advocacy program, our member services, where we relate to our members and our affiliates, our information referral and peer support program, led by Claire Stanley, where we're reaching out and developing peer support opportunities across our organization to our scholarship and awards committees that have done just such an outstanding job of identifying young deserving students, of honoring future leaders and first timers, and recognizing those who have given so much to our organization. It's the audio description project, one of the cornerstones of the American Council of Line, where we are known as the, as the center of a, excellence when it comes to audio description. And our acb.org slash ADP website is not only nationally known, it's world renowned. And our public awareness committee, where we're organizing 21 different communication channels that allow us to reach out to our members and also reach out to target markets outside of our organization. We'll talk more about public awareness as the evening goes along. We also have two support programs, that two support committees that, that support the key seven service programs of ACB. And those are our management and administration uh, program that's so ably led by our chief financial officer, Nancy Marks Becker. And that's the team that works on our accounting, on our HR, and our back office administration, and our IT infrastructure but they also wear the hat of managing our thrift stores. And there they work on a daily basis with our ACB ES thrift store board to manage uh, the day-to-day -day running of our thrift stores, which are such an important fundraising opportunity inside of our organization. 
And last but not least, we have our fundraising and development program, now headed by our new development director, Tony Stevens. And there we are reaching out, developing relationships, seeking grants, developing individual donor relationships. These are our nine key programs inside of American Council of the Blind. And I'm gonna speak a little bit about the first program tonight before I turn it over to Eric. And that's our annual convention, our convention committee. We had a unique opportunity this year, one that we may never deal with again. I will think of 2020 as maybe the most influential year in the first half of the 21st century. Here we are in 2020 dealing with a pandemic that came upon us very quickly back in the February and March timeframe your leaders began a conversation thinking about is there a possibility, even an outside chance that maybe we not be able to have a physical convention this year in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is by the way, a wonderful venue. And at our fall, after our fall board meeting and after our leadership meeting in DC, we started to realize that this could be a real possibility. We scheduled an emergency meeting of our ACB board of directors, and we busily went to work thinking of what could our alternatives be if we could not have a physical convention in Schaumburg. Within three weeks, life moved so fast, there was a national emergency declared by our president in the middle of March. There was a state emergency declared by the governor of Illinois. Still, our Renaissance hotel contract uh, was not open for discussion. When we reached out to the hotel, they, they were not ready to have a conversation with us about canceling the contract. But our board got together on March 30th and unanimously they voted to always take the health and safety of our membership first. And so after a, a very lengthy discussion, we voted unanimously to cancel our physical convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. So now what do we do? The initiative of the American Council of the Blind shone through. Our five core values of integrity and honesty, respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative. Yes, initiative we immediately determined that we were going to have a 59th annual ACB conference and convention. And we were going to make it the best convention that we could possibly pull together. Our team went to work. At that point in time, we had one Zoom account, which allowed 100 participants. We had never heard or not heard of, we had heard of it, but we had never used webinar. We had an ACB radio steering committee that had pulled together a new beginning for ACB radio under the direction of our ACB managing director, Debbie Hazelton, our technical director, Jason Castingway, our steering committee manager, uh, Jeff Bishop, and a 
cast of steering committee volunteers led by Rick Morin, Deb Cook-Lewis, Carla Rushable, and Katie Frederick, with staff support from Eric Bridges and officer support from myself. And we envisioned a future, a future where we could have a virtual convention. We renamed the convention. Janet had a contest. We went to work. We planned and we organized and we reached out to our volunteers, to our committee chairs, to our special interest affiliates. And we challenged everybody to see what's possible. How do we take this challenge and how do we turn it into an opportunity for the future? I'm here to report to you tonight that we have the virtual convention that the rest of the blind and visually impaired community is waiting to have. We were the leaders. We were the chief influencers. We were the organization that put our toe in the water. And we not only put our toe in the water, we jumped into the deep end. And here we are today, a virtual convention with over 1,500 registrants, with 250 hours of live content, with 108 breakout sessions on five ACB radio channels, with an audio described tour channel, with eight hours of exciting exhibits, with over 35 vendors participating with general sessions every morning and primetime shows every evening that are live on video, streamed to Facebook and YouTube. Congratulations, ACB. You've done it. You should be so proud. I know I'm proud to be the president of this organization. You saw the challenge and you met the, you met the challenge. And we are going to have a great ACB convention, a path to the future. Page three. And now I'd like to turn it over to Eric Bridges to talk a little bit about four of our other outstanding programs inside of ACB and the contributions of the staff in those areas related to advocacy, membership services with our member and affiliates, information referral and peer support and public awareness. Eric, love to hear from you. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you, Dan. It's, it's, this is amazing uh, being here this evening with all of you. Uh, I have gone through, much like everybody else that is listening and watching, a really interesting last four-month period of time. Uh, watched my son Tyler lose his first two teeth and my six-month-old son Noah get his first two teeth. Uh, Tyler learned how to ride a bike all within the last four months. So a lot has happened in our in our family but a ton has has taken place within the organization and uh, couldn't help it but uh, mention uh, the the two core values collaboration and flexibility. Um, in, with regard to the team that I am very honored to work with day to day. We have always shown initiative. And I believe that in order for folks to come and work here and to stay here, they have to exhibit integrity and honesty as well as be respectful of one another. Um, the, the flexibility and collaboration has been put to its test over the last four months. And we have come out the other side 
and we're doing well. COVID-19 presented a sig significant challenge to the organization and, and to its members quite naturally. What we were able to do was utilize the technologies that we've acquired over the last several years uh, to their fullest. So whether it was Zoom, Office 365, Ring Central, uh, our laptops, uh, as well as iPads, iPhones, our staff was able to work remotely without most individuals calling here or emailing here, even knowing that we weren't in the office because it was seamless. And so I'm, I'm proud, uh, not surprised, but proud of the folks that work on my team, uh, you know, both here and in Minneapolis, as well as the contractors. Uh, there are several contractors that work with us as well. It's, it's been fantastic. So COVID-19 offered us an opportunity, a whole host of opportunities. I, I uh, think of them as opportunities and not challenges. Uh, the, the first is how are we going to engage with the membership? How do we do that? Uh, we're not gonna be able to be together for the convention. We had just finished the, the DC leadership conference when we were forced to shelter in place on March 16th. And so what wound up happening was Cindy Hollis and I had a conversation and it was really her idea to start having a couple of community calls just to sort of see what sort of reaction we could get. We had had other community calls, but not with any great frequency and they'd been successful. Um, so we had two the first week, they went really well. She came back, she's like, wow, this is, cool, you know, I, I think that this could work. Well, now it has grown into a monster, the best kind of monster you can imagine. The level of engagement that we're uh, currently seeing with our members, as well as folks that have not been members that are now engaging with us is unlike anything I've witnessed in the 13 years that I've worked here. It's been organic. The sessions have, have ranged from support groups for widows and widowers that uh, a great member of ACB, Roger Dennis, has begun to lead over the last few weeks to Let's Talk Sports with Dan and Eric. I'm kind of partial to that one, Dan. To arts and crafts, uh, as well as talking through other issues that concern our members and folks within our community. So it has been amazing. We're getting upwards of couple thousand people a week now on these calls, upwards of 50 calls a week. Uh, would like to recognize Cindy Hollis for all of her work uh, over the last few months, but really over the last year. We welcomed her on June 10th of last year and she's hit the ground running. Uh, public awareness. Uh, the work that has been done by the Public Awareness Steering Committee has been tremendous. And a lot of their work while they have a defined role within the organization is to support the other steering committees. So whether it is in fact, uh, the work of membership and assisting in the creation of the ACB uh, Facebook community, by the way, you can go and search uh, Facebook ACB community to join our group within a uh, little over five days, we, we had over 500 individuals. Uh, that had joined and now we're over 700. So there's something real and tangible that's happening out there. 
virtually where folks are making connections and they're feeling they're feeling wanted and they're feeling engaged, which is just tremendous. As well, we're going to be announcing uh, a blog. ACB is is going to be producing a blog that will uh, take place likely just after this convention is over. But uh, our summer intern, Anthony Corona, which is great to have him on board, has been working with Tony Stevens on that, as well as Kelly Gask. Uh, the work that Kelly Gask has done over the last year with regard to social media, Facebook Live. By the way, we're on Facebook Live right now. Did you know that? Pretty cool. It's, it's been tremendous, whether it's Global Accessibility Awareness Day, we did a Facebook Live for that, or whether it's dealing with uh, you know, the stuff that's gonna be coming up regarding the ADA uh, 30th anniversary, which we will be participating in, uh, and everything in between. You know, Facebook Live's dealing with guide dogs. Who doesn't love watching a guide dog? Anyway, a ton has been done. And before I move away, uh, the hashtag for this year's convention is hashtag ACB20. So if you're out there uh, in social media land wanting to uh, talk about the convention, uh, hopefully good, good things, uh, hashtag ACB20. Join our Twitter at ACB National and look for us on Facebook at the American Council of the Blind Official. So excellent stuff. Advocacy, that's the spine of the organization. It's what we're known for. It's really what we've made our mark doing. COVID-19 presented an opportunity in this area, believe it or not. And it, it deals with the whole issue of voting and all of the states practically wanting to move to vote by mail. This presented an opportunity for ACB and for Clark Rackville, our Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs, as well as Claire Stanley, our Advocacy and Outreach Specialist, to work with individuals within the organization uh, to identify states where we were not likely going to be able to, as blind people, independently vote remotely. So you saw us join in a uh, first file a complaint with the Department of Justice regarding New York, then join in a lawsuit with, the, uh, with other disability groups in the state of New York, as well as uh, legal action in Idaho that we supported as well. So there's a ton of work. And what's ironic, a little ironic about it is that we had already done some work in this area in West Virginia and an agreement, um, actually a change in legislation in the law in West Virginia uh, was announced in February of this year before COVID-19 and we led that effort. A ton of work has been, has been done in this area and I'd like to thank uh, publicly uh, my team but also our, our individual members in the state of New York as well as in Idaho uh, for raising these issues and joining in and, and saying, you know, if we're going to, if the state is going to move to vote by mail, we need to find a way to be able to, to vote uh, and have a private and secure ballot as well. Finally, 
I think I'd like to talk for just a minute about partnerships. And this is an area that kind of cuts across several of our steering committees. COVID-19 provided us uh, a unique opportunity to deepen a relationship with a, a, a company that many of you are aware of, uh, Be My Eyes. For several years, Be My Eyes has been providing a, a very useful service to the blind and visually impaired community uh, through an app, being able to utilize the camera and there are literally tens of thousands of, of volunteers to assist blind people in finding or identifying objects, uh, assisting them with navigation. COVID-19 uh, allowed for the two organizations, ACB and Be My Eyes, to talk through what this relationship might look like. And I'm very pleased to say this evening that we are on the Be My Eyes platform and we have been since late April. We are, we are available to take calls Monday through Friday, uh, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. Please give us a call. Uh, it's being staffed currently by four ACB staff members during that three hour period. And it's likely that that period will, uh, we will extend those hours here in the future. Lastly, the newest relationship that we've created is with Procter & Gamble. And this is really neat uh, from my perspective. COVID-19, again, played a role here. We were able to do some outreach with them regarding the challenges that the blind and visually impaired community has been having in uh, purchasing uh, products, uh, be it uh, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, paper towels, other things. Uh, having them delivered, having them constantly be out of stock, uh, having to go to the store, uh, not wanting to go to the store to pick all this stuff up. We, uh, Clark Rockfall and Tony Stevens actually have led this initiative and Procter and Gamble has agreed, uh, actually agreed quite loudly that this is an issue that blind and visually impaired people need these sorts of things during these times and they need to have them uh, at the ready. And so we, ACB, have worked with six NIB agencies around the country to uh, pack these items as well as deliver these items to the impacted populations within their communities. So uh, Orlando, New York, Seattle, San Francisco, uh, New Orleans, and Cincinnati. And these are areas uh, where NIB agencies have expressed a, a great interest in helping to get these products out to the blind community. And we can't thank NIB and these agencies enough. And we are very pleased that Procter & Gamble uh, has, has really stepped up and really wants to engage our community. And this is a relationship that is new, but that has a ton of possibility. And they're interested in working with us in other areas as well. So COVID-19 has provided us uh, with a whole set of opportunities. We've been, I think, equal to the task in looking at those opportunities, uh, taking lemons and making them into lemonade. Uh, 
Uh, I can't say how proud I am of our members, uh, the level of engagement, uh, the amount of uh, phone calls that we get from folks that are just happy to be part of this organization. So proud of that. I feel like we have turned a corner in this organization in what the future uh, can, can bring to the American Council of the Blind and want you to go along with us. It's gonna be a wild ride. It's been a fun ride so far. There's gonna be a lot more fun to have in the future. Please come with us as we journey down this path to the future. Thank you, Eric, on that for that wonderful update. And thanks to all the ACB staff for all their tremendous hard work. Page four. I want to um, introduce to you a session that we do annually at the American Council of the Blind. Some of you know me mostly because of my chairing the resolutions uh, process for the American Council of the Blind. I only bring that up because... Uh, not only do we always love to have an update from uh, the leadership of the National Library Service, but if you don't think that resolutions mean anything in the American Council of the Blind, then you, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, because many, many moons ago, we decided that, you know what, by resolution, we were going to hear from the leadership of the Library of Congress's National library service for the blind and print disabled. And it is my privilege this morning to uh, introduce Karen Kenninger, who is the director of NLS. And uh, look forward, Karen, to hearing your remarks. And I know we've got already a number of questions for you. If you do, friends, have questions for Karen, be sure to email them to Janet Dickelman, who is the taskmaster on all things questions. And you can do that at questions, questions at acb.org. I think we have a number of them already in the queue, so I don't want to advertise it too much. But um, Karen, <laughs> over to you with your presentation, and uh, we'll take some questions. And whatever you do, don't hang up until I tell you to, because we have a surprise for you. Good morning, ACB. It is an absolute pleasure for me to be here yet again for the, I think, eighth time to speak to you about our library our library that brings us books and magazines so that we can keep up with our sighted peers and all of us can read. So I'm gonna give you a quick overview and then we'll take some questions and uh, we will have more in-depth Q&A this afternoon at the Library Users of America meeting. So be sure to tune in for that as well. So one of the new things that I'm really excited about that just came out is a, the ability to subscribe to series on BARD. Now, those of you who are BARD users probably know, I hope you do, that you can subscribe to magazines so that when a magazine new issue comes out, it will be put on your wish list. And now there is a subscription for series. So I know that we all love our series, and that is also available on BARD as of a few weeks ago. So check it out. In uh, at the beginning of this fiscal year, which would have been October 1, NLS changed its name. We used to be the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. That terminology got me a whole lot of complaints, the physically handicapped part. So we have changed it to the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled as of last October. 
in order to bring the, the language up to date and to acknowledge that print disabilities are out there and that we need to be able to serve them. In December, we got some new legislation that gave us several opportunities and we're just now making those happening. Uh, one of those opportunities is additional funding for our e-reader project, which we'll talk about in a second. And another is authority to do cross-border exchange with um, through the Marrakesh Treaty. And another one conforms our definitions to the definitions in the Copyright Act and that was passed a year before that. Um, and the main one is, is the eligibility de definition. That definition is um, now it is a person who is blind, a person who has a visual or perceptual disability or physical disability. So perceptual disability is the new language in there. And one of the things that we are planning to do is to change the certification process for people who have this perceptual reading disability so that they can sign up more easily. It's been a kind of a, a high bar for them um, in the past because they had to get a doctor's certificate. But as this fall, we intend to get um, to change that so that they have the same options that, the, that everyone else who's eligible does. That we expect them to primarily be BARD users and not talking about machine users which means we have to make sure that BARD can handle that. So we're working on a big uh, expansion of BARD capabilities, moving it to the cloud and doing um, the things that we'll need to double or triple is ability to serve people. We got additional funding for that as well. So that was, that was a good thing. Um, Marrakesh Exchange is coming, but it isn't just here yet. One of the things that our law requires is that we publish new regulations. And those regulations should be published by the end of this month, I'm told, which will um, give us all the legal backing that we need to actually participate fully in Marrakesh. So when are we going to actually see the, the results of that? It's going to be yet a little while while we organize the um, arrangements that we will have to exchange with various libraries. We are going to be working and we have already been working with the Global Book Service, which is part of the World Intellectual Property Organization's project to uh, help with international exchange. We're going to be doing a pilot this, later this summer to implement what we think is going to be a workable paradigm and we'll have to see how that goes. One thing that you've probably seen if you are in one of our 37 libraries who are doing it is duplication on demand where you're getting cartridges that are specially customized for you with the books that you want. And there may be up to 10 books on that cartridge or in some cases more, I think. Um, and we fix the talking book machine so that you can just roll from one book on to the next one if you want to. You can also still use the bookshelf feature if you prefer that but we think this will be a good thing both for the libraries it makes it a lot easier and for you because it makes all the books that are on bard that aren't on cartridges available to you on cartridge as um, well as the ones that you've been getting already so we're, we're excited about that the braille e-reader project is a pilot that we've been as a project that i have been working toward ever since i came to washington actually and it is now bearing fruit. We got additional funding for it this year, thanks to all the support that we got from you. And we have units about to be delivered, 2,000 of them that will be distributed to initially four pilot libraries. We'll be asking the members uh, who use the, who get the talking book, I mean the Braille e-readers to um, 
report back on the usability of them and their experience with them so that we can make sure that they are optimal for people. We have two vendors for this project and the first ones to be de uh, delivered are going to be the humanware ones. There are some from Zoomax that will be coming later in the fall and they will go to another set of libraries. The first set of libraries um, at this moment in time is Iowa, New Jersey, Kentucky, and Utah. We're assuming they'll all be able to um, work on the pilot. Uh, the COVID has kind of gotten in the way of that, so there might be a little bit of a change. I'm not sure yet. But anyway, these are coming, and I'm really very excited about that. Um, ACB staff or designated ACB members will also get um, early pilot units to test out and give us feedback on as well. Um, next generation digital talking book service is another thing that we've been working on for quite some time, and we are still working on it. Um, we do have a prototype of a lockdown cell phone that has a voice user interface so that you can um, talk to the device and it will get you the books that you're asking for. It, that project isn't complete yet, but it is definitely making progress and I'm excited about that. I'm not sure how long it will take to get these things in place, but we're also working on smart speaker implementation as well. BARD Mobile is getting updated and so is BARD Express. I think there's going to be a presentation on that in on Wednesday um, with more details. I'll just mention that there are updates that have um, been worked on recently. So, And the last thing that I want to mention before we go to questions, and I'm going to keep this short since we have a lot of questions, yep. is that we are looking at a new location. We are very hopeful that we will get a new location. We've been hopeful for some time, but the reason that this matters is that our new location will be, if we have our way about it, um, and are very, very fortunate, that it will be on Capitol Hill. What we are hoping for is a facility where we will be able to have not only our offices and our labs and our uh, studios, but we will also have a visitor center that would be intended for both sighted and blind people, including a touch museum that would have artworks, uh, architectural models and other sorts of things of interest that you'd be able to come if you come to washington you'd be able to come and visit and look at um, so that that's also on the table and we are very hopeful that we will be able to get that um, project moved along as well the covid has had major effects on our network libraries as well as on nls and i just want to mention that our network libraries have been doing absolutely everything they can to get books out um, and I know that in some states it's been very difficult because they've completely closed the buildings down and people have to work from home. So there's no mail service and there's no real ability to do that. Um, they have to follow their state requirements. They're, um, you know, they have to put quarantine things. They have to go all through a lot of these um, things in order to do whatever they can manage to do. Um, they are trying to answer the phones, they're using interlibrary loan to try to get books out, things that they can do from home. Um, there are also some sharing across state lines so that one library is helping out another one. Some of them are still open and stump are recording and, and doing a lot of that. But actually at this time, if you're a BARD user, you're in luck. And if you're not a BARD user, if you can get somebody to help you with BARD, if you're not getting the service from your network library right right now, if you can get somebody to help you with BARD, you can have access to the whole collection. So um, I 
NLS staff has been in the same boat as our network libraries. Our building's been closed since the first part of April. We just opened wow. it up last week, actually. Everybody had wow. been working from home who could, and the people who couldn't work from home couldn't work. Uh, but we're back to some extent. Our music services are back in. Uh, they're able to start circulating music again, for those of you who are music people. Um, speaking of music, we have some new... Uh, it's given us a chance to actually get into some of our collections. The Smithsonian Folkways collection is something we've been adding slowly to the to the uh, catalog, and this time has allowed us to add a bunch more of those Smithsonian Folkways products. And if you're interested in traditional music, you might want to check those out because they're they're well done and pretty interesting. Um, books production has slowed down. You have noticed that if you're a bard watcher, because our producers went. On, went dark for a while and of course that impacted production our studios been closed and um, several of our producers were for a while as well they're ramping up now and the number of books is starting to pick up I will say that we have managed to over 2,500 new books in 2020 in spite of all of this and with the help of both our new books new books from the network and magazines we've added 40 over 4600 books or titles to the to bard in this fiscal year so far so we're we're actually doing pretty well there more to come most of our magazines are back up and running if you're a magazine subscriber you should be getting your magazines the one that we're not getting that some of you might be missing is the economist the economist is done in our studio and our studios closed so we're not able to to do that just yet, but it's it's um, coming soon. As soon as we can start opening a little bit more, um, we will, the studio's next on the list. So that's my very brief update of the things going on at NLS, and I would be very happy to take questions at this point, Janet. Okay, so Janet, before we do that, um, I know Debbie Trevino is already on the line. Deb, I'll hand it over to you in just a second. But Karen, I have a question for you, and that has to do okay. with the definition um, of who's covered. So uh, you mentioned this in your remarks about uh, perceptual disability versus sensory disabilities. And you know, there's a certain amount of theology here. It, it can get a little... Um, theoretical and not so practical, but can, can you just talk a little bit about sort of the scope of who NLS is supposed to be serving these days and how we're breaking down barriers to make sure that folks beyond, uh, I think you and me, who, whose only disability is yeah. vision impairment, uh, sure. are, are, part of the, are part of the mix. This has always been a difficult question. And I think that's why back in the 70s, they said a doctor had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We don't, we're not going to ask doctors to figure it out anymore, but we are going to ask for school psychologists and reading specialists and types like that to actually um, certify that a person who is not blind um, or visually impaired, that they would be eligible for the program. Yeah. What does it mean, perceptual disability? I think that what people think of primarily is dyslexia and mm -hmm. that sort mm -hmm. of disability. We are not going to codify that in our regulations. We're not going to say, if it's dyslexia, you're in. If it's something else, you're out. Um, right. We're leaving that. I think we're going to just leave it to the certifying authorities. Our experience yeah. with certifying authorities is that they take things very seriously uh, and that, that in general they have done a, a, a very creditable job. So mm -hmm. that's <laughs> that's where we where we landed on it. 
actually. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the, the numbers, I mean, maybe you don't have the precise numbers, but in terms of how many folks are actually subscribed to the program who are visually impaired or may have other disabilities? Right now, with what we track is one disability at a time. So about 45% of the people we serve at this point are people with, who are visually impaired, and about 40% are people who are legally blind. Mm -hmm. And then we serve about 5 or 6% of people who are um, reading disabled, and we have, or privileged is the term, I guess, and we have about that many who are physically disabled for other reasons. And there's some we don't know for sure. So that's kind of how it breaks down right now. We anticipate that over time there will be a lot more people with print disabilities that sign up. Um, but I believe it's going to take some time for that to, to occur. All right, excellent. And then my, my last question, and I'll leave you alone. You've been a good, um, you've, you've been nice to, <laughs> to put up with my cross-examination. And that is... I'll take um, as many questions people, as you got. <laughs> People people uh, love to cite the NLS data for uh, purposes of assessing how many Braille readers there are. Can you comment just briefly on that? I can. We had about something around 30,000 active Braille readers last year. That means people who actually borrowed Braille and used it um, either from hard copy or off a of bard. Um, we did another way of looking at the data and found that we have about 41,000 people who are registered with the network libraries who have indicated that they are Braille readers. So there's those two numbers are what I've got. Mm -hmm. um, Karen, thank you so much. We have questions, but before we, we do that, I no. want to turn the program over to Deb Trevino for a special presentation. Deb, over to you. Hi, it's my distinct and great pleasure to be able to present the Robert Gray Award to Karen Kanger. This award is someone for improving library services, and Lord knows she's done that over the years. Which she's been faithful and loyal and dependable, and always brings us a good report of what's going on with NLS. And it, it could also be for um, someone who has made technical and communication device improvements and so of course with BARD and BARD Express and with all the different players and things coming out I'm looking forward to that braille uh, e-braille thing I have my own orbit so I mean I'm already using that anyway we are so grateful to be able to present this award to Karen Kenninger and I present on behalf of myself the uh, the awards committee and my co-chair Debbie Rosier we are pleased to prevent this present this award Karen, congratulations. Oh Thank you so much. Uh, and oh and as I said earlier today, you know, this is a virtual convention, so there are people who are trying to get up out of their easy chairs and, uh, and their soft couches, and um, we're all giving you a standing ovation. So congratulations. Nobody deserves it better. Oh my That's gosh. Right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lifelong passion of mine, and I just am happy to be able to be where I can make some impact. So thank you so much. I, I remember being, you know, uh, uh, just just a young lad and uh, hearing names like Kurt Silke, who, you know, I mean, these are these are these are names that are etched into our uh, our minds and our hearts. Who've been around forever and a day, and uh, and uh, he was kind of a a, a living legend. And uh, Karen, um, thank you so much for your 
leadership in this program. Um, you, you are, because of the, the seat that you sit in, you know uh, that there's a certain amount of blindness politics out there. And uh, so there you go. Good for you. Um, and and uh, but 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 you've you've persevered, and uh, and I think um, most assuredly taken the program into the 21st century. So thank you for that, um, Janet. Over to you for questions. All right, we do have a few. First question, Karen, is from Jean Mann from New York, and she wants to know that since Reader's Digest is no longer going to be put in Braille from APH, if you're thinking of recording a Reader's Digest. I haven't checked into that recently, but I will. I'll make a note right now, and I will get back to you on that. And then I had two questions pretty similar from uh, David David Mandel from Berkeley, California. He wanted to know about preserving (laughs) and converting talking books from the 1930s through 70s to NLS. So preserving books and converting them. And Christy, while you're at it, Christy Sykes from Louisville wanted to know about if there's plans for editing out things such as side one, toad and two out of the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, with regard to the old records, which are the ni- you know the um, 1934 to 1970 style talking books, we do have an archive of them, and we have looked at the possibility of converting them. We haven't initiated that yet. There, it's a completely different process, obviously, than the process that we went through to convert about 40,000 uh, cassette books. So um, it's something that's on, on the wish list. Uh, it's not a top priority right now, but it's something we have not lost track of. With regard to editing out side one, tone one, and all that stuff, they're supposed to get edited out when they do the conversions, but sometimes they miss them. Hopefully, they'll get better at that as we as we go along. Okay. And do we have time for one more question, Mark? Of course. Yes, ma'am. Because I'm not looking at the program, so I'm not sure where we are. Um, All right. Robin Frost from uh, Havertown, Pennsylvania, wanted to know about managing the five slots that each library user has for Bard, um, for adding and removing mobile devices, and wanting to know if that might be something that individuals could control on their own versus having to contact the library? I can look at that as well. I um, We're looking at making BARD easier to use in several ways, and we're going to be um, actually completely rewriting BARD in the next couple of years in order to, to meet our expanded needs. And certainly that's something that we want to be able to have more com- more user control over. So I'll make a list or put that on the list of things that we definitely want to do. So Karen, this is Mark, and because because they they gave me an open microphone, that's that was their first mistake. So, um, <laughs> do you? I, I I loved growing up listening to Chaim Potok's "The Chosen" and "The Promise," uh, read by Lan Janney, who was just just a phenomenal reader, and uh, you know a, a historic figure in terms of nineteen fifties, sixties, seventies broadcasting. I don't think those have been converted over. I mean, who, who, if I, if I had my little wish list of things that I wanted to maybe get converted over, to whom can I lodge those um, appeals? Send them to me, and I will. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. 
Good job. Send them to me. Well done. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll uh, get them where they need to go. <laughs> I just I remember getting those 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 records. What those thirty three and a third records in the mail. And uh, oh yeah, me too. Yeah, they were Christmas every time it came in the mail. My mailman wasn't always real fond of me, but he got over it. <laughs> Absolutely. Karen, thank you so much and congratulations. Oh my we, gosh, we, thank we, you so much. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.